Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet novelist and journalist Hari Kunzru, poet and critic Dan Chasen, and professor and author Deborah Tannen. Enjoy. Hi, this is Hari Kunzru, author of Red Pill. Red Pill came out of six months that I spent in Berlin with my family. Berlin is an amazing city. I'd wanted to live there for a long time. And it's also a place where you're always very aware of the weight of history pressing down on you. And I was staying at a place called the American Academy in Berlin, which is a wonderful institution by the lake in Wannsee, suburb uh, on the western edge of the city. And that location was very interesting to me. I stumbled on the grave of Heinrich von Kleist, the writer, and on the other side of the lake was the house where the Wannsee Conference happened, the conference in 1942 where they planned the so-called final solution to the Jewish question. So there are some very dark aspects to this actually very beautiful place. And it was a time when everything seemed to be shifting socially and politically, and I had become very nervous about the future. And also, I was a father for the first time. My son was two, my wife was pregnant with our daughter, and... As a father, I was thinking a lot about risk and about keeping my family safe. And all these feelings, the state of the world and the the sort of state of my own situation, kind of got wrapped up together and I decided to try and tell a story where I could express these feelings, these feelings about risk and safety. If I had to use one word to describe the experience of recording this audiobook... It would either be secret or sweaty, and I can't decide which is better. I am sitting in a sort of fort that I've made inside my study, a timber-framed box covered with duvets, and inside I have a light and the recording rig, and it's a soundproof environment where I can record. And of course, it's hot, it's summer right now, and I'm having to hydrate very regularly. But it also feels like the sort of thing that one would do as a child. It feels like slightly magical, like being in Narnia. The hardest part for me of recording the audiobook is to do with pronunciation of American and English words. As you can hear, my accent is English. I grew up in London, but I've lived in New York for 12 years now. So in some ways, my brain is kind of somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic. And a lot of my pronunciations are English versions of pronunciations. I would naturally say process rather than process. I would say communal rather than communal. These are words that came up, but we decided to try and make it consistent. And so I I'm sometimes almost having the experience of translating myself, which is quite interesting for a writer, actually. It's an interesting challenge. As a writer, when you sit down and you read out an entire novel to an audience, 
It's often the first time that you've had that relationship with your own words, and there's something slightly frightening about it too, in that you're confronted with all the ways that you use language. You realise that you have certain rhythms, that you have certain ticks. There are some words that perhaps you overuse, but what you hope is the emotional tone. That you were trying for the kind of atmosphere of the book will come across in that recording, and I think we have done that with this audio book. You know, with the help of the people listening in and helping me with this, what's essentially it's a performance. I've managed to express the very complicated feelings of this character and his sort of slippage from a feeling of anxiety to a kind of full-blown breakdown. So that is there and. I hope that you, as a listener, will experience that. When I write, I don't have a voice in mind, so it's very interesting for me when other people do read my work out, whether I have a relationship to them. I could imagine all sorts of different people voicing this character and telling this story. I could imagine English actors like someone like Ray Fiennes or Edward Norton. As an American actor, would be an interesting voice for it. It would have a very different tone if a British Asian actor read it. Someone like Riz Ahmed. So yeah, I would love to hear my words spoken by any of those people. Maybe one day, that will happen. And now, please listen to a short clip from Red Pill. I do hope you enjoy it. I think it is possible to track the onset of middle age exactly. It's the moment when you examine your life, and instead of a field of possibility opening out, an increase in scope, you have a sense of waking from sleep or being washed up on shore, newly conscious of your surroundings. So this is where I am, you say to yourself. This is what I have become. It is when you first understand that your condition, physically, intellectually, socially, financially, is not absolutely mutable. That what has already happened will, to a great extent, determine the rest of the story. Hi, I'm Dan Chasen. My book is called *The Math Campers*. It's a volume of poetry. This book was put together between 2017 and 2019, and. It really has to do with my daily life and my daily imagination during a time when I was really concerned about the direction of the country, particularly concerned about the climate crisis, and thinking about all of the places in New England that I love and that I have spent time in over the years, but especially my home state of Vermont. I felt that also during this period, I was using an enormous amount of my imagination, worrying about the news, and I wanted to dig underneath the daily cycle of trauma and torment of the news and think about some of the deeper and, for me, richer symbolism of the moment. So it was partly a book inspired by my fear of climate change. And that topic made me think about my own sons, who at the time I was writing the book were around 11 and 13, and now they're about 14 and 16, and what future they're going to be looking forward to. And I was both very worried for them, and also very inspired by forms of like activism and collective action that 
really teenagers and even younger kids were participating in at the time. So I wanted to write a book about adolescence, and I wanted to think about how adolescent young people are kind of grappling and coping with living in the world of these few years. Of course, I finished the book before the pandemic hit, but some of the themes in it, I have to say, I now read in a different way because the book has to do with how we fill up passing time, how we make shapes and orders within very frightening intervals of time. Another thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to show the steps that go into the writing of a poem, and I also wanted to show what happens to a poem after it's written and published. When you normally pick up a book of poetry, you read the finished poem on the page, and all of the false starts, all of the missteps, all of the dreaming and experiencing and heartache and so on that went into the poem, those necessary phases are erased from the poem. So the first section of this book is really a kind of making of documentary of how a poem comes together. And it also represents what happens when a poem is in the hands of or in the mind of a reader. So what I did in this book is create at least one of the sections where there is a reader who's responding back to the poems that she has received from the writer, interpreting them, questioning them, expressing confusion, bafflement. So yeah, I wanted there to be an account in the book of how a poem comes into being and also what happens once it's finished and it's unleashed into the world. If I had one word to describe the experience of putting this audiobook together, I would say illuminating because from the beginning of this process, working with my producer and today with my director, I was really asked questions about how voice should sort of register. And when you're writing poems on the page and you're representing voice, you don't have to make such sensitive choices about what pace to read a line, what kind of cadence you're going to use, what pitch you're going to use, whether a certain line should be slower or faster. There were questions in this book about whether we ought to sing certain passages or just read them in an ordinary way. So all of these decisions which are intuitive that the writer puts into the poem but isn't really aware of them, they get drawn out again in this process. So to record a poem is to really understand it and understand the way it's working. And I think before I did that with this book, I didn't fully understand what I had done. One thing is that it's really interesting to have to say all the words you chose aloud. And you realize how many of them you've either never said aloud, perhaps never even heard said aloud. There's a very important word in this book, and the word is euphrasy. Before today, I was not certain how to pronounce that word, even though it's one of the most important words in my book. I got the word when I was reading the very trippy and extraordinary writer Thomas De Quincey, who was an opium addict. And he had gone back and read John Milton's Paradise Lost, and he had fixated on this one passage when Adam and Eve wake up in the garden and they eat an herb called euphrasy, 
and their vision widens and deepens. So it's a little bit like a psychedelic. I had really never heard the word pronounced. I'd never said it aloud myself. And so today, May, my director, and I had a little study of the word, and we figured out how it's properly pronounced. So it wasn't even just a matter of pronunciation. It was a matter of knowing deeply and fully like the language that I had chosen for this book. What am I proudest of in the narration of this book? It's a book that is very polyphonic. It has a number of voices. It has my voice. It has a female narrator. There are choruses. There are parts assigned in a little play, a mask. Of course, when I was composing the book, I was thinking of them all as voices in my head, including my own voice. I didn't think about how I might say aloud or enunciate these poems, and I certainly didn't think about what the companion, the female narrator, would sound like. So what I'm proudest of, and it's not my own action, it's the entire ensemble and everybody involved, was that we were able to create a weave of different voices that work as performance, but also honor the words on the page. Who would be my dream narrator? Okay, let me think. Um, I hope it doesn't sound narcissistic, but for the parts that I think of as me, I guess I'm my dream narrator. (laughs) But the significant female voice in the first section of the poem, I not only have a narrator in mind, I was actually inspired to write the poems by a narrator. And the woman's name is Florence Delay, and she was the narrator of this great film called Sans Soleil, directed by Chris Marker. You can find clips from Sans Soleil on YouTube if you're interested, and you will hear that the way that film works is it's a series of collaged images, and there's a voiceover narration spoken by a woman who has been getting letters from a stranger. And she has an absolutely mesmerizing, somewhat flat affect in that film. So, in fact, it was watching that film that gave me the idea to write the first section of the book as a dialogue between me and a woman. And it was her voice that was actually helping me write the poem. So... I would like to thank Florence DeLay for giving me the idea for the female voice in the first section of this book, and I guess she would be my dream narrator. And now listen to a clip from the audiobook. The day my eye flew all the way, what could I see with my vanishing eye? Myself looking up in wonder, or was I the woman standing next to me? It was impossible to say. It is impossible to say where far away was or why we care, O nigh and distant cam held in my palm, now landing in the open zone it measured. In the open zone it measured, face to face, we are not strangers. This is Deborah Tannen, author of Finding My Father. I decided to write this book about my father so long ago, it seems to me I've always intended to write it. At first, my idea was that I would just write about my father's memories of his childhood. He was born in a Hasidic community in Warsaw 
1908, and he came to this country in 1920 when he was 12. It was clear to me that he wanted me to write this book, hoping, thinking, assuming that I would bring back to life that world of the Hasidic community of Warsaw that no longer existed except in his memory. And his memories were so detailed about the life there, the people he knew there. At first, I was going to write it while he was alive. I did spend a lot of time back then talking to him, recording our conversations, and I ended up with 200 cassette tapes. The idea expanded that it would be a broader story of his life, and then that I would write it after he died. And then I missed him so much that listening to those tapes was really too painful, so I didn't write it right away. And six, seven, eight years ago, I got serious about it. Then, of course, when that many years had passed since he died, and I began going through all the really mountains of words that he had left me, papers that he had kept and things he had written and transcripts of the conversations we had, I realized that in thinking about his life, I, first of all, had to reassess my understanding of my parents' marriage, because so much of it was wrapped up in that. But also, I started thinking about what his influence on me was, and it kind of turned into a backward evaluation of my own life. And so I think the book evolved in that way. Recording the audiobook was a pleasure. I have always loved recording my books myself. It's a rare opportunity to go back and get that sweeping view of the book from beginning to end. I do always read my books aloud as I'm writing. I'll read a section aloud, I'll read a chapter aloud, but never from beginning to end. And the idea that somebody else might do it is upsetting to me because I feel like they may not give it the emphasis or the interpretation that I had in mind when I wrote it. There were a few words that I discovered I'd been mispronouncing my entire life. Because I'm a linguist and so words are my business, I would say that on one hand I was mortified, but at the same time really tickled to learn that. And that's something I got from my father, wanting to be precise and correct about how I use words. One is a word that I always said, prescient, and it turns out it's prescient. Another is a word that I always said, ignominious, and it turns out that O is something I was inserting. It's ignominious. And then a word that I was sure would be pronounced skein, it turns out it's skein. So, I think for the rest of my life, when I come across those words, I'm going to be reminded of the experience of recording this book. It's one of the things that I'm really grateful to the director for, but picking that up and making sure I get it right is something I really appreciate. So much of the book is me quoting my parents, especially my father, but also my mother. I really wanted to get the tone of what they were saying right especially my mother, interestingly, even more than my father, because she was teasing and ironic. And she says some things that I think if you didn't say it the way she said it would sound terrible. Like when she walks in, when my father and I are having one of our interminable conversations about his past and I'm taping, 
And she comes in, and we invite her to sit down, and she says, I don't want to listen to all that crap, <laughs> something like that. That would sound horrible. That was her way of speaking, but it was good-natured. It was ironic. It was not as negative as it would sound if it were read a different way. So that's one thing that was important to me in recording the book myself. I've always narrated the audio for my own books myself, and that's always meant a lot to me. I didn't think I was going to be able to with this one because of the pandemic, going into a closed studio, being there for many hours, closed in. So when I discovered that it was possible to get the equipment, set it up, and do it from home, I was so pleased. So that's the thing that's most thrilling to me about having recorded this book. It's been interesting to see how the recording has evolved. The first few books that I wrote, this goes back to the 1980s and 90s, audiobooks were sold on cassette tapes. So there would be two types. There was an abridged version, which the author read, and those would be sold in bookstores, and it might be reduced to, say, two cassettes. And then the entire book would be read by a professional, by an actor, and those would be sold by some other distribution, and it might be 12 cassettes, 18 cassettes, much more. And I can see why they thought most people, I guess, going in a bookstore wouldn't want to spend that much time. But it was heartbreaking to me to think that people were getting that abridged version and think that they were getting the book. As soon as books began being recorded and sold on CDs rather than on cassettes, that's when I first had the opportunity to record the entire book myself. So that was really exciting, and I was so happy that I got to do that. And every time I write a book, I really look forward to the experience of reading it and recording the audio myself. So I was very happy I was able to do that with this book as well. I listen to audiobooks. I really like them. I do especially like to listen to novels. The last great one I listened to was Bel Canto by Anne Patchett. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks really exists only in my imagination and fantasy, and that would be sitting outside. The weather is beautiful. It's sunny. Looking at some beautiful scene, probably the sea, and just listening. And so I don't have to look at the page. I'm looking at this beautiful scene and just losing myself in the narration. In reality, I mostly listen to audiobooks when I'm washing the dishes, doing the laundry, folding laundry. And now listen to a clip from the audiobook. I adored my father. He's the parent I felt an affinity with, the one I thought understood me. I traced to him my love of words, of language, of reading, and of writing. When my father was home, he was often sitting at his desk, writing. That remained his favorite place to be, his favorite thing to do, until he died two weeks before his 98th birthday. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.